Welcome to the Chabad Around the World podcast. My name is Mandy Bressinger, and I'll be your host, taking you on an adventure every single week. Together, we'll fly out to remote places around the world to meet up with the Chabad emissaries, hear about their stories, their daily activities, and the inspiration that keeps them going on a daily basis. Good morning to, well, good night to you. We're doing well, thank God. There you go. Yes, that's right. It is good morning over there. You're going to have to tell us what it's like to be in the future. because We have not yet seen a Wednesday, uh, June 20, 22nd yet. And uh, we're excited to hear all about it. Actually, Rabbi Ruddle, I wanted to introduce you in a little bit of a uh, different way. I'm going to put on the screen for a moment. And there's a, a very exciting movie, which everyone can go ahead and watch after the Zoom, uh, which will give you a lot more uh, appreciation for this interview that we're about to have. But I just want to put on the first minute of it, the first minute and a half of it, to introduce tonight's interview with tonight's very special rabbi. So enjoy as I share the screen here, as I pull it up, and oops. Just going to get it over here. There we go. And okay, here it is. Going to. Here we are. Okay, share the screen. And optimize, let everyone in. Welcome everybody that's just joining us here. We're rolling already. We are going to introduce tonight's event with this very exciting video here. I'm gonna ask everyone to go on mute. Everyone on mute. Every Rudder will let you back on in a moment. Um, of course, everyone can unmute uh, towards the end. So we can ask live questions. Here we are sharing the screen. This is the Outback Rabbis. It's a few ads, so hopefully it's gonna give us a smooth run. This is Outback Rabbis. You can find it on YouTube. The Lost Jews of the Wilderness. Check this out. We're just gonna watch the first minute and a half to introduce tonight's Zoom. Two rabbis, Rabbi Yossi of Melbourne and Rabbi Uri of Cairns. In partnership with their wives, they are hitting the road on an unlikely mission to search for Jews. We're about to uh, go Jew shopping. These outback rabbis scour this vast land looking for lost members of the tribe. Do you know any Jews that might live in? No, none might. No, I don't. No. 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 They are members of Chabad, an ultra-Orthodox Hasidic sect whose religious duty is to connect Jews to Judaism. For weeks at a time, the rabbis go bush in their synagogue on wheels. You could say it looks a little bit weird, it's, it's loud and it's in your face, but that's the point. Lots of people here who have never met a Jewish person. The Chabad of Rara slogan is, no Jew will be left behind. Every day, their faith will be 
tested. These city slicker rabbis are heading into the unknown on a mission from God, creating a community for the Jews of the outback. Just like the Jews were hunted down once with hate, now it's the time for them to be hunted down with love. There you have it. Wow. That is incredible. That rabbi on the mountain, right there, you saw in the Talis. We have him here with us. So we are super excited to have Rabbi Yossi Ruddle. Rabbi Ruddle actually was in yeshiva with me. He was like a counselor kind of guy, uh, a few years older than me. But I'm super excited to have him here. And Baruch Hashem, been working on it for quite a few months now. And we are here tonight together to hear all about Chabad in the outback of Australia. So, Rabbi Rudolph, we can start off just to get to know you a little bit. Tell us a little bit about yourself, and then we'll move on to this crazy idea of yours to go to the Outback. Um, absolutely. So, as, as advertised, my name is Rabbi Yassi Ruddle. I am American, and um, was born in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Um, moved to Los Angeles, California when I was 12 years old. Uh, went off to yeshiva in France for a few years, back to New York, and then um, they say the boomerang was invented in Australia. I met my wife, who's Australian, and uh, we moved back to Melbourne, where we started, and then where we continued an incredible organization called Chabad of Rara. Um, and yeah, I I think they did a pretty good job of uh, describing some of the aspects of Chabad of Rara on the film, and it was quite a ride. And uh, we we did that for about six, seven years until the kids were getting older and um, we had a few more kids. And then it wasn't so feasible to take take them on these road trips for uh, weeks at a time. So we moved to one of our areas, one of the main ones on the East Coast, which is called Newcastle in Hunter Valley. It is about um, two hours above Sydney, two and a half hours above Sydney, where we have been for the last two years. And um, thank God it's going well. We have a... I guess in American Jewish communities, we would have a very small community of Jewish people and very spread out. Um, we cover an area uh, not as great as, uh, as Australia, but we have um, about two hour between going, going north and south, two hours and um, equivalent going south, um, east to west. And uh, we have probably about, a, about 800 Jewish people within this range. And we, we service them now in, I guess more of a traditional uh, synagogue role, a bit more of a traditional synagogue role than um, the roving rabbis that we have done for the last six years. Wow, definitely. I think anything is, is going to be a bit more traditional than that. And we really want to hear about the untraditional because that's that, that it was super exciting to see the shul on wheels. Um, so, so if we just to get that clear, you're born in Pittsburgh, you end up uh, marrying your wife in Melbourne, and you are continuing this organization, which is called Chabad of Rara. Love to hear more about that. You're on the wheels uh, for about six, seven years, going throughout the outback. And now, over the next uh, past two years, you're in Newcastle. Actually, that's where you. That's really where you are right now. In, in speaking to us from Newcastle in Mel in in Australia. So I'm going to pull up a map here just so that we get a, a real mm -hmm. clarity as to all these places. If you could show us on this map, I'll also what the outback is, uh, I, this was the best map I, I found. If yeah. we zoom in, but if I, I, you know, Sydney is, you know, my wife is from Sydney. 
everyone knows from uh, so my wife is from Sydney so that's more famous and Melbourne's down there I think those are the two places that are more famous we can see them here mm -hmm. so where are we talking about uh, let's talk about Newcastle and then work backwards okay well just for for size um, idea the map of Australia a lot of people think that it's a small little country it actually is as big as the United States um, continental United States if we take out Alaska so it's quite big very very big as a matter of fact so um, as you pointed out you have Melbourne and Sydney the other main cities would be Brisbane which is uh, above yeah right there you've got Adelaide which is kind of in the middle there yeah and then you got Perth on the west side of Australia um just a quick anecdote just to show you how big it is so the same way that in America you've got a time difference three hours between the east coast and the west coast in Australia it's the same thing because it's it's uh, more or less the same size and one time we had um we were taking the Mitsu tank which if you'd watch a documentary it, it has its moments with mechanically it's got its moments and um we were we had it wasn't actually us we had two young rabbis who were taking it across country literally from Melbourne across to Perth so that is uh it's a journey of three days I think about New York to uh to or from Florida to to California that's pretty much the journey that it was and while they were around the Perth area they were probably a little bit south of Perth down in the um down in the region there in the wine regions around that area um south of Perth they developed some engine trouble so what did they do this was a Friday and they call up um, our friend who's actually made it to the documentary George who was our was our chief mechanic back then and they call him up and they say hey we're stuck on the road that are not and George who's not religious he tells to them he, he tells them look boys I got to tell you um you probably don't realize this but we got a time difference in Australia for me I'm three hours ahead it's already Shabbat by me but I don't want you to hang up because this is the Rebbe's tank and the Rebbe's mitzvah tank we uh we need to take care of it no matter what obviously the boys hung up but, but this is just to uh this is just to illustrate the things here so the areas we would cover were actually pretty much the entire Australia so if you want to zoom out and you go um all the way to all the way north to the center to Darwin right up there the um the top of that there's Darwin that's one of the most remote places and then even more remote is the outback which is the outback is really anywhere other than the, the east coast pretty much the east coast and west coast other than that is pretty much the outback as you can see there are a lot more cities uh, i would say 80 percent um even 90 percent of australia's population lives along the east coast and in the perth area when you get to darwin and you if you follow that highway straight down from darwin all the way to adelaide um, you'll notice there's an, a number of, of places along the way. There's Alice Springs, there is, um, which is Uluru right there. And that is the areas that they featured in the film, which um, at least in our trip, that's where we featured. And in the film, you'll see, um, if you want to show them, Cairns and, uh, and far north Queensland, that is where the Rubens are at. And um, it's just a vast, vast country. Um, on the top right is where is where Queensland is, and that's where a bit right. Somewhere yep. here. Yeah, somewhere there. Uh, that's where Cairns is, Cairns and Townsville. That's where they are located at, just to give you an idea of the areas that we're talking about. So it's it's vast, it's massive, massive areas, and you could go for you could drive for for 10 hours and, and not come across a town, you know. Wow. It's, it's massive.
And 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 uh, just tell us where are you now? You mentioned you're in. You're now you're you're you you've taken up to more traditional uh, Chabad style, but uh, that was in Newcastle. Where is that on this map? So if you see Sydney, um, you want to zoom in on Sydney area. Right here. We are right above. You see where it's yet. Yeah, you see it's a central oh, coast Newcastle. right above that, and right then Newcastle. There. So we cover central coast and Newcastle. And how far a flight is that from Sydney? Um, you don't really fly. Um, yeah, you don't really fly too much because it is only a two 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 hour drive. Two hour but drive from Melbourne. It's about an hour and a half flight. Hour and a half flight. Incredible. Wow. Okay, so we can really talk about the entire Australia here. You've been through it all. That's that's okay. Okay, so let's let's go back to the beginning. You get married. Uh, your wife is from Melbourne, so so you decide. At, you know, we always hear from the different rabbis that we've interviewed, and think I think you're like in the '60s already. Um, so so we hear about there's this goal that you have from the yeshiva days. You want to go on the Rebbe's shluchis. You want to go on the, be part of the Rebbe's army. Go somewhere in the world. How did you end up deciding that Melbourne or Australia period was going to be your place? That's a great question. Um, yeah, as you mentioned, I knew early on that this is something I wanted to do throughout my yeshiva days. Uh, something I always look forward to on the Fridays when we had time off from from studies. The what we would always do. This happens in yeshivas worldwide. Chabad yeshivas. We would split up into pairs, and we would uh, go to the, whatever city I was in at that time. Usually, it was Paris in my I guess formative yeshiva years, and we would um, hit up Paris. Probably not the same way you uh, think of that in other in other expressions, but we would go to Paris um, in, in in pairs and and literally go. We each had like we called it a mitzvah route, and we would visit shops and 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 people, individuals, businesses, and we would meet them every week. We had we developed a rapport with them, and um, we really I guess became like their their rabbis so to speak for for the, those few years that we were there so i knew that this is something i wanted to do early on and um when we were dating i was open well, i said you know would you move to russia and i said i don't know about you know a, a little backwater town in russia i don't know but she said what about australia I said australia sounds sounds interesting and um that I was open to it. So then we moved to Melbourne with the thought process of finding, we went to Yeshiva in Melbourne actually, a kolo, with the idea of finding um, a Chabad house opportunity somewhere in Australia. And uh, while we were in kolo, somebody came up, over to us and said, look, we're have, we've got, um, we're looking for somebody to do Purim in a place called Toowoomba. <laughs> Toowoomba is um, not so much in the middle of nowhere. It's only three hours from Brisbane. Um, if you find Brisbane on that map, we can show you where Toowoomba is. There you oh, see. Oh, there's Brisbane here. Okay, so. Right next to, to the left of that is Toowoomba, three hours inland. Toowoomba, right there. Wow. So um, we were like, okay, we're up for the adventure. And we went to Toowoomba for Purim. And we had about 50 people come, 45, 50 people. It was amazing. Um, and we, later on, um, we were approached and said, you know, can you take over the directorship of Chabad Barara, which we did, and uh, six years later, it was it was an amazing experience. Wow, wow. Okay, so you've been uh, introduced to the fact that there's Jews out there uh, to Wumba of all places. You got a, a part, a firm party of 40, 
45, 50 uh, Jewish people celebrating Purim and you're inspired, you're going to find all the Jews in the entire Australia. How did that translate into what we saw in the documentary, you going off on that synagogue on wheels and, and just taking on the roads? What was the um, we'll just just to answer one of the comments that I've seen, a long shot, do I know the Wolf family from Melbourne? I do. I know them very well. Um, Dovey Wolf and, and Label Wolf, depends which Menachem Wolf, there's a few fam a few Wolf families. I know about three, so hopefully one of them is the hit target audience. Um, to answer your question, how did it translate? Uh, look, it, it definitely is challenging. Very, very, very challenging. Um, because just just the distance, it's really, really hard. Uh, I mean, if we get a, if we, there's just so many places to go to. We're talking about, uh, think about traveling to every spot in America. If somebody would call you in the middle of Arkansas and say, you know, my, uh, I have a, a five-year-old son, I want him to study Hebrew. And then the next day, somebody would call you from, uh, I don't know, from Florida. And then the next day, somebody would call you from Nevada and say, okay, you know, can you come visit me? It's It's really tough. So, the way we worked it out, we had this mitzvah tank. Um, so the way we we had this we had this mitzvah tank, and we would usually get rabbis, um, young rabbis who were just before getting married, and they were very up for the adventure. They would go for six weeks, and they would go cross country. We usually had two trips going coinciding at the same time. Meanwhile, my wife and I would go. On a on a trip for three three to four weeks, usually we wouldn't go in the mitzvah tank. We would um, we wouldn't go in the mitzvah tank at all. We would just uh, go in our car because it's much harder to go in the mitzvah tank with the family. It's much easier for the boys, and they would go like literally. You saw the map going across the Perth. That's one of the routes that they would do, and then spend three four weeks in Western Australia on the in the west coast, and then uh, stopping all along the way. But we would um, we would hit up most mostly the East Coast, so it was a very challenging thing. But we were able to have incredible stories um, along the way, meet incredible individuals, and um, and I guess we we could always have done more. But I reckon we 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 did as much as we could, reaching out to uh, to everybody. Amazing, amazing. So is this uh, something? It sounds like it wasn't just you and your wife. We saw in the documentary it was another rabbi and his wife. But you mentioned. A number of times there was other young uh, Bachurim, young men, yeshiva boys that were part of this. What, what's the history of this project of traveling? You mentioned it's uh, Chabad of Rara. What, what does Rara stand for? Rara stands for Rural and Regional Australia. Um, nice. and so what's the history of that project? How did it start? So about 30 years ago, maybe 33 years ago now, uh, there was a young man, then a young man named Saul Spiegler, and he had this crazy idea to, at that point, there were Jews literally in Melbourne and Sydney, and I don't think anywhere else, and they, in Australia, and they said, wait, there's probably Jews out there, let's let's, let's rent a camper van for three weeks, I think they did, and um, two, three Australian young Bukharim, they rented this camper van and just went on a trip just to see, and then they went up, not, nothing crazy, they went up to Newcastle, they went to Coffs Harbour, and they had a tremendous, tremendous trip. They met over 150 Jewish people. The reception was incredible. And at that point, Saul said to himself, I know that this is something I want to pursue. And um, 20 years later, after he was married and a business and was set up, he um, decided to, to do that when his mother passed away to honor the memory of his organization. And um, the, rest is, the rest is history. But since then, 
It's actually been an inspiration for a number of similar programs throughout the world. Uh, for example, in Georgia, they just started uh, about a of rural and regional Georgia. Um, the Markowitzes a year and a half ago, they started this and they based loosely based their activities on RARA. We were in touch with them for a while, giving them a lot of uh, advice on how to navigate the difficulties about such a uh, interesting, interesting operation. Amazing. So you you come in, of course, when it's already a, uh, a up and coming, uh, so I guess, organized, crazy idea. Um, uh, you're, you're already one of, I guess, there's been you had predecessors that you were able to talk to that have done it and you were coming in as the new couple on the block is that how it worked uh well when you say organized that uh, you know when people when, when we offer you know program to somebody and they say oh, i don't believe you've been organized religion i could say you could call me anything but don't call me organized okay <laughs> um so i would say that was the state of uh, of rara when we when we moved there um, there was there was a, a gap of two or three years before we were there where nobody had been at the helm. So it was a little bit all over the place. and um, we were able to we were able to, I guess, take the directorship role and have a a base in Melbourne from where we were able to reach out. and um, and that's how that's how it happened. Amazing. So, so take us back to the first day. You know, you got the invite, you, you went out to uh, to to that place for the Purim party. Now you're you're ready to go and and check out the entire Australia. What was the first day on the trip? What did that look like? And what was your first place, the first reception that you yourselves uh, received? Well, what happened was we while we were in 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 Kola, while we were in the yeshiva in Melbourne, we decided just to do something local while we were still studying in our in the little spare time that we had. We took the Rara car and we just made Rosh Hashanah packs. And we went to a place called Geelong. It's about an hour and 15 minutes from Melbourne. And we would um, just visit some of the Jews there. We made a little bit of an event there. Uh, yeah, if you could zoom into Melbourne area. Okay. Um, okay. So, oh, there we are, Melbourne. And to the left of that is Geelong, like on the... Right here. Right there's Geelong. It's about an hour and a half from Melbourne. And uh, that really showed us the potential that there is. Obviously, as we're being close to Melbourne, it was a very different situation. And then we took our initial trip. We had the boys come. We had the Bacharim come. We sent them out across. I remember that first trip. Um, the tank broke down like two hours in. We sent them across all the way across to Perth, which is the crazy trip, um, and across the desert. And then we went on a trip to Coffs Harbor. And that was our first, uh, our first one. Our Coffs Harbor is on the East Coast, um, about halfway between Sydney and Melbourne. And we stayed in Coffs Harbor for about two weeks. And we met with about 100 Jewish people, their individuals. We had a Shabbat dinner and we, yeah. we went all out. And that was really a welcome moment to Coffs Harbor. We saw the challenges. It was, it was really, really difficult and hard. It's, it's hard going to a, a place with kids and not having your home, not having a base, no kosher food, you bring every, whatever you bring with you, that's what you have. Um, it's very different to America. America, you could go to know, your local Walmart and find kosher sauces and this and that. In Australia, and this is getting better every day, but you, you do have lots of kosher products, but not nearly to the extent of, of the US. So you do have, um, you would be able to buy pasta and obviously vegetables, but you can't get any sauces, for example. Definitely no meat, definitely no cheese, no kosher cheese or anything like that. So 
there was no challah, very difficult in that sense, um, running around with kids and then visiting people's houses. And for a lot of these people, um, I guess it's difficult on one hand, but it's also very inspirational because a lot of these people, most of these people, it was their only Jewish interaction perhaps for the year. And we were able to set up one of the things we love to do is to get you have everyone in each community, in each area to know about the other Jewish people. There, A lot of these people thought previously that they were the only Jews in that area. And we got them to introduce to introduce each other to each other and then a lot of these communities are now like satellite communities. There's about 15 of them now that get together on different, you know, each community is a bit different, but they would get together for Shabbat once in a while, even when we're not there. So that was the the goal of the trip. And Kafs Harbor was one such, uh, was our, our welcome moment. Wow. Wow. What a beautiful idea, you know, to, to inspire them to the point where they can go ahead and do things on their own, uh, join together, find the other Jews in the area, and come together even without the rabbi. What a beautiful inspiration that is. So tell us, you, uh, you come to Cuffs Harbor. Uh, were you expected? The, the people there say, oh, the rabbis aren't back. We haven't seen you in five years. Uh, did, did you come to people uh, that you had already been visited? Did you find more people? Some of the documentary that I, we saw, just a little bit of it, and of course, I'll, I'll put it on the chat at the end if anybody wants to watch the full thing. It's a beautiful documentary. You really get lots of details. And you get to see it all um, is you walk into places and you say, are there any Jews here? Well, how what was the balance between having the history uh, with previous years and finding new uh, Jews? Well, as they say, there is uh, there's two Jews, three opinions. You can imagine with all these uh, all the many Jews, there's a lot more opinions. So it depends. It varies on the person. It varies on the personality. Um, I would say that we had a unique challenge where. Um, you know, if if you're in a place, I don't know, um, Chicago, let's say, where there's there's thousands and thousands and thousands of Jews, and um, you may your average rabbi might be might be you know engaging with I don't know a thousand, hopefully a thousand Jews a week. That'd be nice. Um, these are the the low hanging fruit because these are the Jews that want to engage, right? And when we go to a place, knowing that this is the only, I guess, the Jewish lifeline we we made a point to reach out to every single jew no matter what their affiliation was or at least just send an email or a text saying you know we're here and you had you can expect and you have the spectrum it's uh, all different types of jews so we've had some amazing amazing reactions and these are the ones you remember incredible stories and and things that we remember and then you also had very very few i have to say i could probably count on my on one hand the the negative interactions that we've had but they they did happen once in a while. This is usually based on some previous um, some previous trauma that people have had, usually from Israel or something like that. Um, but the vast vast majority were were very welcoming, um, and uh, we we've had only I would say ninety nine percent positive experiences. Incredible! Can you share with us one of those stories? Uh, you keep us you keep on kind of. Uh... Uh, reminding us all these beautiful stories. Share with us one such story of finding the Jew and, and the incredible uh, impact that it had, knowing that God has not forgotten him or her, even in the outback. Absolutely, absolutely. So, um, yep, there's many such stories, but we'll go through one. <laughs> um, this is, we we get a call from a lady in Jindabyne. Um, so we want to bring up the map again, show you where yeah. this is. 
Jindabyne. It is the snowy region of Australia. So uh, if you go to Canberra, it's kind of right close here? to Canberra. Yep. Um, is this it right here? No. That is Kunbayan. It's right near there. It's around that area. So it's about two two hours. Um, as you can see, it's roughly between Melbourne and Sydney if you've got like three hours each way off the beaten path. <laughs> it's the middle of the mountains. you got to go. It's like a ski resort area type of, of place. Anyway, this lady calls us and she is 92 years old. And her name is Christina. She says, i got to speak to a rabbi. So I said, yeah got you um this is the rabbi yeah i just called the uh, central synagogue in sydney and they said they said you're the person to speak to i need to see a rabbi before i die this is what she tells us um i said oh okay yeah we're we're absolutely going to do this what's your story very quickly she basically says that she was born jewish but converted to christianity when she was a young girl and uh wants to see a rabbi before she dies and wants to celebrate a shabbat as she says so we we kind of made this a priority. It's kind of hard to get out to these places personally to be there, um, but Hanukkah was, it presented a wonderful opportunity for us to get there being that Hanukkah, um, as opposed to Passover, Pesach, for example, we do seders, we used to do seders in 13 locations, but you can't get from one location to the next because it's the holiday, you can't drive. But on Hanukkah, where it's um, it's like a, a mini holiday, so you can drive and there's eight nights, so it's great. And you can make a party in different locations. And if you have two or three groups doing it, you can make, and this is, we've done this, you can have like 24 parties across Australia, which we've done. So we arranged with her to actually have, uh, I would call it a, a Hanukkah event, not necessarily a party with a few people in her home for the Hanukkah, for one of the nights of Hanukkah. So the night before, we were um, we were in Wollong uh, we were in Albury the night before, and then we were going to go to, to Wollongong the night after. And um, she invited a few of the Jewish people from her from her town, and uh, that we didn't even know about, one or two Jewish people from the nearby town of, uh, uh, of Berville, Berdale, and um, we had a little thing. Anyway, we're sitting there and I ask her, she's put out this whole spread. She's 92 years old. She's legally blind. She's, she only has 10% vision in her eyes. She's got an aid that, that comes a few times a week, but she's cooked up a, a storm. It's very important to her, you could tell. She's brought out of her finest china. And I ask her, Christina, can you just share with us your, sounds like you have an incredible story. What is going on? What's, tell us your life story. And she proceeds to tell us the most incredible story. I'm not gonna tell you all the details, but basically, she was um, orphaned. Her mother passed away when she was eight. Um, she was brought up until then by her father. And then at eight years old, she went to her grandmother, her mother's mother, who brought her up as a Christian. Her mother's mother had left Judaism and been ostracized by the Jewish community and um, was very, very devout, a devout Christian. And um, that's how she grew up. She grew up in the mountains between Yugoslavia and uh, Italy. Um, she was household friends with Sigmund Freud. She was, uh, she was an older lady. Anyway, she's Austrian. And um, as when the war broke out, she was, uh, she was approached by the, uh, the Austrian underground because she knew the mountainous region very well. And she was a 15, 16 year old girl. They said, you're the perfect candidate to take people over the border and make a long story short, for the next four years, she did that. She brought over over 40 groups um, of between one and three people 
over the border, essentially saving their lives. She says 85% of these people were Jewish. And um, it was really her first interaction with Judaism, with Judaism, with Jews. And that is how she found out that she's Jewish. She told her grandmother who she was really her parent and her grandmother uh, slapped her across the face and said, you're Jewish and don't you ever tell anyone it's a curse and you can get killed for it. And it's, that was her introduction to Judaism. Anyway, um, she, even when she married, and uh, she continued, even when she married, she continued going on these trips. And even when she had a baby, she would leave the baby with somebody. And incredible stories, which we heard uh, later from her, now is not the time, but you can imagine the amazing stories that such adventures would, would happen, would happen to, to somebody who's undertaking such an adventure. Um, continuing along, um, she, the war was over and her husband had been sent to the front and she gets a, uh, um, she gets a message that her husband had died. So she remarries and then has and is pregnant now with the second marriage. And then her first husband returns and says, hi, I'm here. They made a mistake. I actually didn't die. And it was a bit awkward, I guess, having two, two husbands now. So she stuck with the second one. And, um, and when they had a baby, when they had their second daughter, the second husband turns to her and says, all right, we can now get rid of your first kid. And she's like, no. And uh, it led to a lot of strife. And uh, her second husband ran away with her daughter to England and Australia. And she chased after him. And that's how she ended up in Australia. Needless to say, that marriage didn't really work. And uh, she eventually found her, her lifelong partner in, in Sydney, who happened to be Jewish. She didn't remember this all these years. She didn't identify as, Jew, as being Jewish. She said, I'm Christian. But she knew that she was, in her mind, she was born Jewish. Anyway, she um, she continued to, to live in Australia, and that was her, her story. So I said to her, you know, Christina, this is absolutely incredible. And in my mind, you and God, you're, you're good. Even if you don't do anything else in your life, you've already, you saved one person's life, you saved the world, you saved maybe hundreds, and it's probably thousands of people alive today due to your efforts, and it's absolutely incredible. But you yourself say that you identify as Christian. What made you want to see a rabbi and she says you know for the last two years or since i turned 89 i've been getting these as she calls it these these voices these these things in my head telling me you have to return to your your jewishism as she calls it you return to your jewishism and at first you know imagine an 89 year old who, who was pretty devout um she said no 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 i'm not uh she tried to ignore it, but eventually it got to her. Eventually, uh, it even led to her needing to be hospitalized for it. And after two years, she said, all right, let me give in and see what this is. And she, that's, she said, it leads me to call you. And I'm wondering, maybe you could explain this to me. Um, I said, oh, yeah, yeah, no, no sweat, no biggie. Um, I explained the concept of a Jewish soul, right, which was news to her. And I said, the Jewish soul is just intrinsically connected with God. And usually... Uh, God waits for us to start our service. We're here in this world to do what we need to do. God's waiting for us to, to do all the good stuff. But in my opinion, and this is based on Hasidic philosophy, there are certain souls which are very special. And God sometimes initiates that that uh, spiritual connection. And God, I, I said, in my opinion, in your case, you're a very special person, clearly. And God said, I want you to come back to me. I want, I want to have that connection to you. Um, and therefore, God uh, kind of, arranged for that to happen and that's in my appraisal this is what's going on and she liked that but she said look i'm still it would be an insult to my grandmother who sacrificed so much 
for um, to go away from Judaism. I'm not going to say I'm Jewish, but you know, thank you for the explanation. And uh, I said, all right, can we light the menorah? It's the third night of Hanukkah. She says, uh, you can light the menorah. You're Jewish, but okay. So I lit the menorah and we're singing Yeshuati. And as we're doing that, there are tears streaming down her face. So there's obviously a story here I ask her to share with everybody. There's about 10 people in this room. Um, I ask her to share with her story with everybody. And she tells us that this reminds her or only other previous Jewish experience where she was taking an Italian father and son over the border. And it was, uh, it was winter, obviously in Italy, Hanukkah comes out in winter. And they turn to her and they say, can we light the menorah? And she says, are you absolutely crazy? We're running away from the Nazis in the middle of the night. It's 1 a.m. You want to light a candle? I forbid it. And they say, look, we're not looking to, you know, sit down for an hour and light the menorah. We want to light the menorah for, ten, for five seconds, do the mitzvah. It means a lot to us. Look, and they open up their backpack. The only thing they brought with them besides for a loaf of bread is the menorah. Is a little menorah from which was passed down through generations. She sees it means so much to them. She says, all right. I'll agree on condition that if I see um, anyone coming, I'm disappearing. I have my ways. I'm leaving you to your fate. Um, and they say, okay. She takes them into the deepest recesses, the caves, and they light the menorah and they sing most. And this is, she says, this is this experience here is transporting her back to that to that story that she's gone through. So it was a, it was an amazing night, as you can imagine. Some all the other guests they loved it. And uh, it was an amazing thing. She insisted that we stay. Now, my wife was pregnant, very sick. And uh, you can imagine a 91-year-old uh, blind lady's house wasn't the cleanest, but it was, it was, it was fine. We, we did it. And we needed to go the next day. We needed to go to Wollongong, um, which is a three-and-a-half, four-hour drive away with the kids. Set up shop there, but she wouldn't let us go. She was like, it was like a lifeline for her. And we... We sat and talked and she shared with us her stories and we put up a mezuzah. And during our conversation, she goes out to get a phone call and it's her friend who missed the previous evening. And we hear her saying, you know, Leslie, Leslie, you only live, uh, you live in Kuma. It's only 45 minutes away. And why didn't you come? And um, I had the best night of my life last night. And I know now she says in my grandmother, she's looking down and smiling at me now that I've accepted my Jewishism. That's what she says. Incredible experience. We talked about um, end-of-life scenarios and uh, how important it would be to be buried as a Jew. Um, and she agreed to do so, which was incredible. And um, and we found out that her son, who is, it was actually his 72nd birthday, he lives in town. So we right away called him up and he came over and uh, we informed him that he was Jewish, being that his mother was born Jewish. And we bar mitzvah with him, which means we put on tefillin for the first time in his life. Uh, we have some beautiful pictures of that. And uh, that was quite the experience. Uh, and just to make uh, a longer story shorter, over the next few years, we came back and visited every Hanukkah. And uh, eventually she koshered her home. Uh, she almost burned down her home in the process, turned on the oven and forgot about it. <laughs> Five hours later, heard a big boom, but definitely was kosher. Uh, and then... And then she took on a Jewish name and she's still, this was, this was five years ago. She's now 96, 97, and she's going well and strong, lives in Jindabyne. She's an incredible lady. She actually came to our house and spent six weeks in our house um, while we took her to medical appointments in Melbourne and we uh, got to know her better. And this is Esther, uh, incredible, incredible 
stuff and it just shows you the power of the soul and and how it how it how it works and you know we were in a position we were lucky enough we were lucky enough to to be in the right time the right place in the right position where we were able to experience that and help that along the way so that's i uh, would sum up our 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 posting uh, throughout those years there's a lot of uh, a lot of divine providence and um, one of the amazing people and stories that we that we met wow 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 that's all i cannot say to that that's that's definitely i think on the top 10 stories we've heard over our zoomings around the world and it's it's, it's a story that continues it, absolutely incredible the power of one mitzvah and rabbi yossi uh we always try to find those stories of of mitzvahs being done around the world and not just any mitzvah, but uh, the ripple effect of mitzvahs, how one mitzvah leads to another. And, and you just shared with us one of the most incredible ripple effects of mitzvahs, starting all the way back then with saving the lives of others, which led to the menorah, which led to, you know, uh, decades later, uh, her neshama her knocking on her door, you know, saying, come back. And all the mitzvahs that came about after that with herself, with her son, and uh, continues to go strong till this day. What an incredible inspiration for every mitzvah. You never know where it can lead to. Little did those guys know back then in the cave what their mo's tour, you know, would lead to. Uh, what a beautiful, beautiful story. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. We're going to wrap things up and we're going to put, it, uh, of course, the, the documentary on the chat. It's uh, there on YouTube and you can go ahead and watch it. Everyone can go ahead and watch it and see in, uh, in, in action all that Rabbi Yossi is talking about. If we can just end off, Rabbi Yossi, I'm going to share the screen of the map again. If you can, you know, uh, somehow, if you can be in control... Uh, maybe there's a better way to do it uh, and show us just the route that you took to some degree um, with uh, going around Australia because we love to hear about mitzvahs being done around the world. We know mitzvahs are being done here in Montreal and that's to see how mitzvahs are being done in every part of Australia because we know anywhere that you that you that you passed through, mitzvahs were being done there in an incredible way. So if there's a way that you can take us through a little bit on that on a, on a trip here um, and then we'll go for questions and wrap things um, up okay let's see if i can can you see what i'm doing here uh no you would probably oh yes yeah oh okay okay i should have to keep it all here. right we'll have to <laughs> erase that all right perfect that's a great way okay so we're looking out for the yellow lines that rabbi yossi is going to be posting on our screen all right um so we would start off in melbourne and then we would classic, we would typically, a few routes we had. First one would be to Adelaide, and we would do this whole area here. And we're talking, you know, this little area is a good rural. Uh, Victoria is one of our favorite spots. Um, this whole area, it's very hard to get to because it's a lot of far in between. Um, that was one of our favorite spots. We'd spend a few weeks there. We'd go around the Adelaide area right around here. And then from there, we would take two routes. A lot of times we would go across. There is nothing. This area here is called the Nullarbor. That is three days of traveling with nothing in between. Um, but there's a few, maybe one or two Jews in this area. Down here is another hot spot. There's another bunch of Jews there. Um, we'd spend Shabbat in Perth. And then um, at different times, we would try to go up this side, uh, where it's also very, very, very sparsely populated. And we would slowly get to meet new Jews. Now, there are a few Jews up in Broome, if you could move the map up a little bit. Yeah. In the middle of Western Australia, there's absolutely nothing. 
Um, but Broom here, there's there's literally one or two Jews there. Darwin has about 40 Jews. So this is something that we would usually draw, we would usually fly to. Darwin would go there three times a year. Rosh Hashanah would be there, Hanukkah, and usually Pesach. Um, that's where we go to Darwin. And then sometimes we would drive down to Alice Springs in the middle, Alice Springs, Uluru. Um, there's a few spots on the way. Sometimes we would drive up from Adelaide. These were our areas. One time we drew, we drove from here to Cairns. Now the Rubens, the other couple in the documentary, they cover the whole far north Queensland, which is this whole area here. Um, and then our main bread and butter is from there down to the bottom of Australia. That's the whole East Coast. And this is where the the meat and potatoes of everybody, well, not just the Jewish people, but everybody in Australia pretty much lives from here down to here. And that's where we would go. So at this point, thank God, it's uh, developed where there are, based on the Chabad of Rara, which is still um, still going strong and it's under the directorship now of Rabbi Menachem and Shabi Aaron. But since then, we have um, established centers in the central, in the Sunshine Coast, which is above, uh, right above Brisbane. And then there's obviously the one in Cairns. There is also another Chabad that just started in Byron Bay, right under Brisbane, and then obviously we're here in, we are here in, in um, Central Coast and Newcastle. So whereas as five years ago, there was nobody, or six years ago, there was nobody besides for Brisbane, there was nobody in the whole East Coast. Now you can't go more than uh, eight hours without finding a Chabad. The truth is you could from Cairns to, from Cairns to the Sunshine Coast is a 13 hour drive, 14 hour drive. But, um, yeah, so we pretty much more or less have the East Coast covered now. And then, of course, you have the whole inland here, um, the whole Mount Isa. This is very isolated areas, but we would go there once in a while. Um, and and we'll just do an arrow now. So now we have areas here and here. Um, all these areas, rural New South Wales. Pretty much this, this is where we went. Um, but once in a while, we would get calls from people who are out on a farm out in literally the middle of nowhere, in the middle of Australia here, and we would have to mail them. You know, for matzah, we would have to send them by Hanukkah time. We would have to start sending them matzah so that it could get to them in time for Passover. Wow. Um, it, it's, it, it was absolutely, these people live, yeah, it would take, some, and sometimes it wouldn't even get to them at all. They they would live in the middle of Western Australia, middle of uh, Northern Territory, and there's just nothing. There's just literally nothing out there. Incredible, incredible. Is, uh, wow! So yeah. literally, the, the entire Australia you 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 have been through, or the Kabat of Rara ha, has been through pretty much. You've covered coast to coast, the entire Australia. Uh, no Jew will be left behind, like we heard in the documentary, and you lived up to that. What an incredible inspiration for us here in Montreal and wherever else we're joining in from this uh, for this Zoom. We are, we know that the uh, the Jews in in Australia are being taken care of. What a beautiful thing to know! Right. Wow, wow. Well, Rabbi Rodel, this was an incredible Zoom. I'm going to oh, here we go. Come back to us. I'm going to go quickly through the chat, and then if anybody has questions on the mic, they want to ask Rabbi Yossi. Uh, we have the former Chabad of Rara, now the Chabad of Newcastle. Here with us, uh, definitely great chance to ask questions. Um, we have here from 
Uh, David is asking, what was the biggest obstacle you had to overcome? Um, there was the biggest one was just distance, I would say. There was many obstacles, but the biggest one was just getting to each place, um, trying to reach to reach out to everybody. Oh, we lost you. Second. There you go. So distance would be the obstacle. And you said that that the uh, the truck that we saw, that that uh, uh, truck or whatever, how, how, you had a good name for it in the, in the beginning. The mitzvah tank. The mitzvah tank. There you go. The mitzvah tank. Uh, that that uh, didn't always live up to its expectations. You had to fly as well. Uh, um, be... Yeah, I mean, with, with dealing with such distances, flights would were 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 quite common to go. Uh, I mean, definitely over the holiday season, Pesach, we have we sent out like ten groups, so flights were definitely the thing. Then any of the holiday seasons was was a flight. Usually, some of the other trips were were uh, were that. So that was, that was definitely a challenge. Incredible. And uh, we have here also from Davida, have you encountered any anti-Semitism? Um, I have to say, no, we haven't really ever encountered anti-Semitism. We encountered more in Melbourne and in Sydney than, uh, than out there. We had a lot of um, just interest and a lot of curiosity, but no animosity. Um, in Newcastle, we have, we have experienced uh, maybe one or two um, one or two times people shouting things out the window, maybe three or four times actually thinking about it now, but um, out in the country, no, not really. Wow. Look at that. That's usually the answer we hear from Chabad rabbis around the world. It's a lot less than we expect to hear, that's for sure, and it's, it's good news. Baruch Hashem. Uh, when traveling, how do you keep kosher? Liba wants to know. Um, so it was very... This is one of the also the logistical challenges. You have a, a limited space in your car. So we would actually take, uh, what we'd usually do is take a an electric frying pan with us, which can be a pot or a pan. And we take one or two of those with us. We would take uh, an oven and then we would base everything off that. And we would have to take, we would have to make a calculation. Okay, meat, we're going to be taken for the next three weeks and then uh, put into in, into the motel freezer or whatever, wherever we go. Uh, take milk, you know, whatever it was, and then just make our our meals based off of that. Take a lot of long life, long lasting food, tuna, and things like that. There is, there are lots and lots of stuff you can get on the road. You can get pasta, chips, you know, drinks, um, a lot of different stuff, rice. But um, but all of the, you know, dairy and meat you had to just take with you, stored in coolers. Wow, wow! Look at that and. Trucking through uh, the outback, kosher wasn't an option. It was uh, you you kept to it, and that definitely inspires us here in Montreal, where it might be a little bit easier. Uh, how is Israel perceived in Australia? Kana wants to know. Um, well, you have just like everywhere, you have your you good and your bad. Generally, it's very generally, um, it's it's pretty positive, generally. But I would say it is similar to to america very similar to america uh there's the jewish people here are very very pro-israel in the general sense um but but you've got you've got both sides you know right okay we're going to stop the questions here if anybody wants to ask any more on the 
Uh, Mike, you can open up your mics. I think you have the ability to do that. If anybody would like to ask a question from Rabbi Yossi, Rabbi Yossi would definitely have to come back and do another one uh, just to focus on Chabad in Newcastle. Love to hear about that the past two years that you actually uh, have more of a traditional Chabad house. Love to hear all about the Jewish life going on in Newcastle. Anybody, Rachel, you want to ask something? Uh, yes. Hello, Rachel. Uh, when you said you were co covering a territory at one point of 800 people over God knows how many square miles, I suppose if people wanted to stay for Shabbat, they would have to stay at your place. They wouldn't be going back home. I mean, yeah. if people wanted, you know, what about Shabbat, really? Yeah, Shabbat was always a challenge along on the road because first of all, you, you know, if you're having even five or 10 people or 20, how do you cook for those people? So that was always a challenge, but um, yeah, so Shabbat we usually try to do in a, in a place which had at least 10 or, or more people. A lot of the times we would actually stay in somebody's house if they were happy to host us and uh, kind of take over their kitchen um, and, 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 and have people there. So Shabbat, we usually did an area which had more of a more of a built up, usually along the East Coast, more of a built up population. So, but yeah, generally we tried always to have accommodation available for people um, if they take up, if they take us up on it or not, that is their prerogative, but we wanted to, we, we have to make it available for people if they did want to keep Shabbat, um, that they can stay if they'd like to. There you go. All righty. Anybody else want to ask any questions on the mic? Norman? I've got another question. Oh, all right, Rachel, go ahead. Yes, because you said you take, you know, if they let you, you would take over their kitchen. So presumably those people are already kosher. Um, no, no, <laughs> very much not. Um, it's, it's very hard to, would be very hard for them unless they yeah. were completely vegetarian yeah. to keep kosher. But what we would do is we would bring in our machines, you know, our electric frying pan, da, 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 but yeah. we would, uh, we would do a quick koshering on their sink, let's say with hot water. Yeah. Uh, some of their countertops or we would just cover their countertops but uh, i guess they would let us take over their their space if they were brave enough and uh and that's how we did it incredible unbelievable so much work so much work every time such organization there was a lot of organization necessary but uh what we we tried to do was we tried to arrange spots